Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. God is dead. In his 1883 book, Friedrich Nietzsche wrote that, that phrase, God is dead, and thus spoke Zarathustra. Now, it's not surprising that Nietzsche wrote that because in the 15s and 1600s, something rose up in culture, something known as rationalism. And in the 1700s, rationalism gave birth to the Enlightenment. And so when Nietzsche looked around, what he saw were people living out of their minds and some people living out of their emotions, but almost nobody relying on God. And so he declared, God is dead. For 300 years, people had been taught that God only existed at best in the minds and the hearts of people. You see, because empirical data couldn't prove the existence of God. Therefore, according to science and philosophy, God must not exist. God is indeed dead. And the human being is the ultimate specimen. Humans are the center of the universe. Therefore, humans are the, really the be-all and the end-all. And any human being then could create any world that they wanted to create based on the values that they held inside of them. And those values that they, they shared or imposed on the world created their own world. And if a human being truly could do that, Friedrich Nietzsche had a word for that person. He called them an Ubermensch. He was German. So in, in English, that just simply means Superman. They were a Superman if they could impose their own values. Because here's what Nietzsche believed. Nietzsche believed that human beings could rise above Christian morality and even intellectual morality. And they could attain this godlike character, essentially, through their values that they imposed on the world. The Ubermensch was alive and well in Nietzsche's day, and God seemed to be dead. That's what Nietzsche observed. But how could this be? How could an eternal being be dead? How could God himself, who had seemed to be in existence since thousands of years previous until that point, how could he be dead? Well, Nietzsche simply observed what he saw, and that was that people had all but forgotten God. People didn't care about God. People only truly cared about themselves, and it actually makes sense, and that's somewhat alarming. Gandhi made this observation, and I think this is an important observation for us, and I don't want you to get hung up on the fact that Gandhi said this, okay? It's this, this truth is a universal truth. All truth comes from God. If you look in the Old Testament, you will see this in the Old Testament. But Gandhi just made this observation, and he put it into these words, and I think this is so helpful for us as to why it makes sense that God seemed dead to Nietzsche in his observation. Here's what Gandhi said. Your beliefs become your thoughts. 
Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. Your habits become your values, and your values ultimately become your destiny. So for 300 years, philosophers and scientists laid a rational foundation questioning truth and pointing to the human being as the ultimate specimen. So it should be no surprise to us that when Nietzsche looked around, he made that observation that God is dead because Nietzsche made a stark summary and conclusion to the previous three centuries of thought, of philosophy, and honestly, of belief. Because what Gandhi noticed is that belief ultimately leads to your destiny. (laughs) The interesting thing is, Jesus said the same thing. What we believe matters. And what we do now matters for eternity. Gandhi noticed it. Jesus taught it. But Nietzsche, he didn't get it. So let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever heard a phrase like this? The truth is within you. Anybody ever heard that? Okay, all right, good. Well, what about this? You have to look inside yourself to find yourself. You ever heard that? (laughs) That's scary for me, to be honest with you. Or how about this? Anybody ever heard somebody say, you do you, I'll do me? Anybody heard that? Yeah, like that's the new thing now. That's the, it's the same way to say what I just said. Well, interestingly, over 100 years ago, Nietzsche said the exact same thing. And I want you to hear this because this quote is it's amazing. We hear this all the time. Here's what he said. You have your way. I have my way. As for the right way or the correct way, the only way, it does not exist. Now, how many of you have heard something like that in your life? We all have. Why? Because for 450 years now, it has been ingrained in our culture. And you know what happened? Kids were taught that from the time they were just babies until they were adults. And do you know what the ultimate result of of that is? What Gandhi said, they began to believe that God at best existed in our hearts or our minds and, and nowhere else. He wasn't ultimately real because he couldn't be proven. So in essence, what happened is the enlightenment pushed God out of us and out of culture. And because human beings began to believe that they were the ultimate being, that they were the pinnacle of human history, then do you know what happened? Their beliefs turned into words and words into thoughts and thoughts into actions and actions into habits and habits into values, into destiny, which is why we're in the boat that we're in, in Western culture specifically. And Western culture is Europe and the United States right now. So to the natural observer, somebody who's just looking around, even today, it still seems that God is dead. God is dead. But what if the exact opposite is true? What if God is so alive and so real that if we will lay down our own presuppositions and the presuppositions of our culture, we will experience him in tangible and wonderful ways. What if that's true? What if that is the ultimate 
reality. You see, our goal in this series is very clear. We want to awaken the wonder, the wonder of God inside of us all so we don't miss what he has for us. We want to awaken the wonder of God inside of us so that we don't miss what he has for us. Because what we believe here at New Life is that the opposite is true of what our culture teaches us. God's not dead. God is alive and he's well. And he has something incredible for all of us. And he wants us to step into that. But if, if we don't lay down our presuppositions, if we don't lay down the things in our hearts, you know, even some of us who are Christians in here, maybe you heard the story that Pastor Chris shared this morning. You went, you know, that's, that sounds good and, and maybe it's real, but I don't know. You know, if that's you today, listen, that's really not okay, but we're glad you're here because I believe that God's gonna open your heart and your mind to receive this from him, if you're a believer, that he wants to awaken the wonder inside of all of us so that we don't miss what he has for us because he has so much. And I want you to know this, it's not gonna be easy. You know, it's not easy for us to come into a, a church service or honestly anywhere because we're Americans and be told that we have a wrong belief, that it's not really all about us. It's not comfortable, it's not, it's not fun but the reality is sometimes we need to hear it because the truth is ultimately what's the most important. And so we need to step into that. We need to live into that. And when it comes to waking up the wonder inside of us, there are going to be many things that you and I are going to have to lay down and go, you know what, I think that's a lie from culture. I believe that the enemy has taught me something here that I've believed since the time I was a baby that I just need to give up and I need to lean into what God has for us. You know, it's interesting how wonder ties our lives together. Because here in New Life, we have a core value. One of our seven core values says that we engage in worship. You can go right out in the gathering area, look on the back wall. You can see it hanging out there. We engage in worship. But here's something that we need to understand. If you're a follower of Jesus in here today, that means you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus. You cannot fully engage in worship, and I cannot fully engage in worship if we don't have wonder. We can't fully engage in worship if we don't have wonder. If we have rationalized worship to the point that everything is a system and everything is a symbol and there's no room for God to move, guess what? He won't move. He'll wait for us to be aware of him so that he can move, so that we can experience his wonder. You see, when you have wonder, you can't help but worship. You ever think about that? When, whenever you think something is wonderful, you know, it's just, it's just so incredible that you just have to have a response. And that's really what this series is all about. It's about teaching us how to escape the indifference of culture, and I would contend even Christian culture, and engage in worship and the wonder of God so that we can't help but worship him. But there is a problem our culture has indeed enlightened the wonder out of us. So the question remains, how do we gain that wonder? 
How do we regain that wonder? Because, you know, Nietzsche made that observation that God is dead, and you need to know something. He wasn't just looking at, like, natural people. He was looking at people who believed in Jesus. And do you know what he saw? Nothing. He saw people who believed in Jesus, who lived without passion, who lived without presence, and who lived without purpose. He saw a natural person. He didn't see the supernatural at work. So he just made an observation. God is dead. He surely can't be alive. Because these people who worship, you know, they go to the, these big buildings and they, they open up the Bible and they read from it, but they're the same person when they go in as when they come out. And they don't have any power whatsoever. They're just the same. So God must not be there. That's what Nietzsche noticed. But do you know there's something even worse than a Christian who doesn't have passion and purpose is a Christian who doesn't have wonder. So I'm going to talk to two groups of people today. Those of you who uh, aren't followers of Jesus, we're so glad you're here today. Uh, maybe somebody dragged you here, and, and listen, that's a great thing. We're so happy that you're here with us. And we're going to talk to you, and we're going to talk to those of us who are believers in here today because this is something that all of us have to deal with. How do we wake up the wonder in our lives? How do we experience it? Because here's the deal about wonder. Wonder is designed to lead us to God. Wonder is designed to lead us to God. In fact, our take-home point today says this. Wonder wakes us up to God's presence all around us. If you have your outline, you'll probably want to pull that out right now in your connection. And I would encourage you to do it today specifically because when we talk about this process of waking up the wonder, there are four specific things that we can do that will help us to do that, that will allow God to wake up the wonder within us. So I encourage you to pull that out. The first blank on there is presence. Wonder wakes us up to God's presence all around us. God designed us with incredible brains. How many of you know that? You have a brain between your ears, okay? If you don't know that, <laughs> maybe there's not one there. No, I'm just kidding. That's a bad joke. I'm sorry. Brad, don't do that. Okay, so anyway, so we all have a wonderful brain, and our brains actually are connected to these awesome things called senses, right? Reach out and touch your neighbor, okay? How do they feel today? Sweaty. That's gross. Okay. You see, we have these incredible things called senses, and we can feel, we can see, we can taste, we can smell, and all of that works together with our brain to awaken the wonder around us. Now, let me give you an example. It stormed really awesome yesterday, or no, Friday. Awesome storm, really. One of the best ones. It's been trying to do that for three weeks here in western Pennsylvania. And I love storms. I've, I, I used to be terrified of storms, as my mother can attest to, um, but now I've grown to love them. But I just want you to do something with me this morning. I want you to close your eyes and not fall asleep, okay? So close your eyes if you would. Now, I want you to picture you're, you're in that sweet spot that you like to be in where you, you like to watch storms. And if you don't like to watch storms, um, shame on you. But um, just pretend that you're in this place where you like to watch a storm. Okay, your eyes are closed. Just, just picture this. So you begin to feel against your skin the warm air turns to to cool, damp air, and you can smell the dampness. And then all of a sudden, you see a raindrop fall onto the ground, and you hear it splash against the ground. And then you hear a rumble of thunder, and you see a flash of lightning. 
And then all of a sudden, it just lets go and it just pours and pours. And the water that just is, is gathering on the ground is nourishing the ground. And you can see grass that was brown is turning green again. Now open your eyes. Nudge the person next to you who didn't open their eyes. Wasn't that cool? Isn't it just amazing? When you think about something like that, when you think about a storm, you know, why did God create it that way? Why did God make storms so that, so that when a thunderhead is being built, that these ice molecules are building up in the top of the thunderhead and they're smashing against each other as some of them are getting heavier and going down and some of them are lighter going up. They're smashing against each other so that static-like electricity flashes and in an instant it gets so hot that this incredible sound goes, why is that? Why did God make it that way? He didn't have to. He could have just watered the ground from springs. So why did he do that? I contend he did that to make us say, wow. And to ask two questions. How did that work? And why did it work? Because wonder always leads us back to God. It always will. Now, I was really tempted when your eyes were closed to sing, and the thunder rolls, and the... Yes, you guys are way better than Saturday night. All right, good job. We'll see how next service does. That was really good. That's Garth Brooks, for those of you who don't care. Um, man, I was so tempted to sing that, and I, I didn't. I was going to get my guitar while your eyes were closed. I had this whole plan. Well, good. I didn't do it. It's probably a good thing. So anyway... Wonder wakes us up to God's presence all around us. So how do we do it? Well, I believe that Asaph gives us a clear plan in Psalm chapter 77. We're going to look at verses 10 through 15. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to pull it out because there's some things in here that we're going to want to notate, that we want to underline, that we want to allow God to speak to us about this week. It'll be on the screen for you as well. If you don't have a Bible, you can download the Bible app um, called YouVersion or any other one. It'll be on there as well. And I just encourage you, because we're going to see a process today that Asaph has that will help us to experience the wonder of God as God wakes up his wonder inside of us. Here's what Asaph wrote, Psalm 77, verse 10. And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. But then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. Oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we pray that you will wake up the wonder inside of us, that we will throw off the indifference of our culture and that we will be amazed by your presence. Change us from the inside out today, Holy Spirit. We beg you in Jesus' name, amen. So Asaph begins with an emotional declaration. Look what he says. And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. Now, I love this because Asaph begins with something real. God has turned against me. Have you ever said that? Have you ever found yourself and say, you know what? I don't think God likes me today. 
I think, in fact, I think God might even hate me because all the stuff that he's allowed in my life. Asaph was there. He was having this emotional response. And do you know, Asaph began to realize what was happening and he began to identify with, oh man, I'm on a downward spiral right now. God, your hand is getting, if you look at the first nine verses of this, basically Asaph says, God, you're not here. I don't even know why you care. And then he gets to verse 10 and he says this as the ultimate pinnacle of his conversation with God. I feel like your hand's against me. I feel like you don't love me. I feel like you don't even like me. And he saw himself just kind of going down this spiral. And and so he begins to do something that he learned. And this is so important for all of us because our culture has been going down this spiral of godlessness. And we need to have a mechanism, a tool, a handle to grab onto that will allow us the opportunity for God to pull us out. And so Asaph continues on after he makes this declaration. Look what he says. But then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. You see, Asaph knew something. He knew that if he went down this road of saying, God hates me, God hates me, God hates me, God hates me, do you know what ends up happening? We start to believe it. And when we believe that God hates us or that God does not exist, eventually... Our beliefs become our words. Our words become our thoughts. Our thoughts become our actions, so on and so forth. And then what's happening all around us is God isn't present in our life because we truly think that he either doesn't exist, doesn't care, or he hates us or doesn't like us. And so Asaph knew, I've got to stop. I've got to re, recalibrate here for a minute. And he makes that declaration. I remember So on your outline, the very first thing that we need to do in order to wake up the wonder inside of us is this. And I want to speak to a very specific group of people. If you're a follower follower of Jesus in here, um, hang on for just a minute. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is for you. Number one, realize God's goodness. Realize God's goodness. In case you've never heard this before, God loves you. He created you. And he wants you to be a part of his family. In fact, Jesus tells us that in John chapter 3, in verses 16 and 17. Check this out. This is what Jesus himself said. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. God loved you and he loved me so much that he sent Jesus into the world to live a life that none of us could live. Because here's the deal. This is what the Apostle Paul teaches us, that God has a standard and no human being aside from Jesus Christ has ever met God's standard. Because guess what? God's standard is perfection. It makes sense. He's a perfect being. But Jesus came here and he lived a life for us that we couldn't live. And then Jesus did something even more incredible. He went to the cross and he died on the cross in our place. As Pastor Chris said, an excruciating death that you and I should have died. And he was buried. And three days later, God raised him back to life again. God raised Jesus back to life. 
And the scripture says that when we believe in Jesus, when we believe that he lived for us, that he died for us, and he was raised for us, that when we believe that, we receive a new life. It's like receiving a new garment. We, we take it and we put it on. And then we're welcomed into God's family. We're adopted, the apostle John said in John chapter 1. We're adopted into his family. So listen, if you've never heard this, or maybe you have heard this, but for the first time it's making sense, Jesus said there's only one thing that all of us need to do. We need to simply believe. Believe that he died that he lived, he died, and he lived again for us. And we receive his new life. Listen, there is nothing more wonderful and more good than that. God loved us so much that he died for us in our place so that we could be with him. And you need to know, verse 17, I put that in there from John chapter 3, because everybody knows John 3, 16. You don't even have to be a believer to know that. But in John 17, it says that Jesus came into the world not to judge the world. You see, Jesus isn't here. He's not here today going, mm, you did that on the way in. You bad. I'm going to send you to hell. He doesn't do that. Jesus came here to save people. He set his church out on a mission to save people through him. He is not judging you today. He loves you. He wants you to be a part of his family. And all you have to do is believe. And then you'll receive that new life. So that's so good. That's such good news. Such good news for us. And it begins to awaken up the wonder of God inside of us. Okay, number two, if you're a believer in here, this is for you. Okay? Number two, remember God's goodness. Remember God's goodness. Look what Asaph said in verse 12. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. Jesus died for us. God raised him back to life for us. It doesn't get any better than that. Thank God that I have a Savior because I would definitely be burning in hell if I didn't. You can't see my heart. I know my heart. God knows my heart. And I would be, in the words of ACDC, on a highway to hell if it wasn't for Jesus. We all need a Savior. But you know, it's interesting. Jesus knew that even Christians would struggle with the loss of wonder, with the loss of relationship with him as we go into our culture. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, Jesus is talking to a church, and he gives them a very specific instruction. It's almost as though he says, listen, guys, when your culture pushes out the wonder in your life, you need to do this. Look what he says. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place from among the churches. So what does Jesus say? The first thing is, we have to realize that, you know what, I have. I, I've lost my wonder a little bit. I've lost my zeal for God. I've lost my passion. I've lost the presence of God in my life. I, I need to get it back. I've lost it. So then what do we do? Jesus said right there, go back and do what you did at first. Now, I received Jesus at a really awesome, uh, huge 
worship festival called Creation. Some of you probably know what that is. It is just such an awesome place because I was a musician. I love music. And so it was a place where all these Christian bands played. And at night, they tricked you and they preached the gospel um, in between the really good band and, and the other bands that were cool, you know. And they, they preached the gospel in the middle. But I want you to know it worked because I heard the gospel. And for the first time, I realized that God loved me, had a plan for my life. And do you know what I did that night? <laughs> I worshiped like I had never worshiped before because I was alive. And so do you know what I do whenever I kind of feel myself slipping a little bit? I go in my office and I close the door and I crank up the worship music and I just worship Jesus because that's what I did at first. Or I'll get in my car and I'll just drive slowly home on some back roads and I'll just worship Jesus because that's what I did at first. And he begins to awaken the wonder inside of me. His spirit begins to move in such a way that he's drawing me back to himself because I realized I was falling away. I needed him. So maybe it's different for you. Maybe when you accepted Jesus, maybe you got with a bunch of people and started talking about him. Then go do that. Get back with those people. And if you can't get back with those people, get in a small group here at New Life because they're designed exactly for that, to have conversations about faith. We want them to be transformational communities where we are being awakened to God in every way. Or maybe when you accepted Jesus, man, you picked up the Bible and you read that thing from, the, from Genesis chapter one to Revelation chapter 21. And you, I mean, you did it in like a week. You know, I don't even know if that's possible. If you didn't have a life, maybe. Um, it is possible. Thank you, Pastor Chris. So you can do it, okay? You can do it. Maybe you did that. Then go back and do it again. Because you never know. You might open up the Word of God and you read one line and you go, boom, I'm alive again. Do you know that's the amazing thing about the Word of God? Because God spoke through his, his, speaks through his Word, it awakens our heart to his wonder, to his presence. Or maybe you got with people and you prayed, and man, your prayer life was on fire. Go back and do that. Whatever it was that you did at first, Jesus said, go back and do it again. Remember his goodness. Go back and do what you did at first. Number three, to awaken the wonder in our relationship with Jesus, we have to remember we have to realize, we have to remember his goodness, but we must also respond to God accordingly. We must respond to God accordingly or appropriately. You know, it's not helpful if we uh, go back to do the things at first. I'm talking to Christians right now. If we go back to the things that we did at first grudgingly, it's not helpful. If we go, okay, God, I'm going to go put the music track in and, you know, I'm gonna, well, if you have a CD player, you can push it in or... You know, you turn on your Apple Music or your iPhone or whatever. All right, God, I'm here. You know what? God's not, he's not about that. He doesn't want us to come to him grudgingly. In fact, he wants us to come to him with humility and trust. And, and Jesus tells us that in Matthew chapter 18. Here's what he said. Jesus called a little child to him, and he put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then this is the, so important, verse four. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. 
So what did Jesus say? The context makes clear that Jesus wants us to come back to him, not in childish ways, but in childlikeness. You know, child, being childish just means pursuing what we want and whining while we're doing it. <laughs> I have four kids, and I love them all, and God has blessed my wife and me just so incredibly um, with these children. But man, do they whine. You know, and, and I don't know what happens to little girls when they turn four, but oh my goodness. Oh, these teenagers are going to be tough for daddy. But you know, when they come to me and they say, Daddy, give me a cookie. What do you naturally feel like when somebody says, hey, give me, what do you want to do? Punch him in the face, right? I mean, isn't that your natural response? I ain't giving you nothing. Get away from me, you know? That's what we do. That's like our, that's like our natural thing. Okay, I've never hit my kids. Don't worry. Uh, I mean, I've spanked them, but I've never hit them. I never will, Lord willing. I don't know, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> Lord Jesus, help me. But anyway... You see, when we come to God, the way that we come to God, the way that we approach God matters. I'll never forget when Marcus was, he was wee little. I mean, he was, he was tiny. Um, I remember bringing him here to this property when the diggers were here. And that's what people who are not in the excavating business call big trucks like that that have scoops. We call them diggers. And, uh, and so I know that there's, the big one is called an excavator. And I took him up to the excavator. And I'll never forget his eyes. They lit up as he saw all the levers that he could pull in that excavator. I mean, he had seen them from the road, you know, and, and, and he'd, you know, experienced them a little bit, but man, this was the moment. Now, nobody was here to run it, so he missed that a little bit, but he got to see it, and I'll never forget the life that I saw in him. Do you know that's how God wants us to approach him? He wants us to approach him with that kind of wonder, with that kind of trust, and you know what wonder does? When, when we wake up the wonder in our life, wonder allows us to experience moments like that in the kingdom of God. Things that otherwise we would never experience. When we are awakened to God's presence all around us, to his wonder, he will give us moments that are wonderful. And we'll go, whoa, that was awesome. I want more of that. This time I want to get in the excavator and run it. You know, I mean, it's just so incredible. So we need to respond to him appropriately. Asaph did it. He looked, he said this in verse 13, oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? Asaph went from being this, God, I think you hate me to this person that says, God, I know that you are holy. You are good. And I come before you humbly. So Asaph responded appropriately. Then the last thing is this, if we want to wake up the wonder in our lives, we have to recalibrate our lives. Recalibrate our lives. Based on the truth that we receive from God, as we respond appropriately to him, we need to recalibrate our lives according to that truth. Look what Asaph did in verse 14. You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Only after Asaph remembered God's goodness and responded appropriately, could he recalibrate his life so that his belief was refocused on Jesus. And then what did he do? He spoke the words. And they became his thoughts, and then his thoughts became his actions, and so on and so on. He recalibrated his life 
he recalibrated his life to the truth that God was good, that God loved him, that God had brought his people out of darkness and into light. Guys, that's what Jesus has done for us, and he wants us to wake up to the wonder. And through this series, through the next two weeks, we're going to be digging deeper into this. And and it's not going to be easy. In fact, it might take us the rest of the year, but if we will begin to implement these truths into our lives, we're going to begin to experience things that we never thought were possible. In fact, in John chapter 14, I love this. Jesus said, it's John 14 or 15, I can't remember. But in, in one of those two chapters, Jesus said, if, and in Greek and English, if is both conditional, okay? So if you will obey my commandments, what does that mean? If we will walk in obedience with Jesus, if we will respond to him appropriately and recalibrate our lives with him, do you know what he said? If you will obey my commandments, I will manifest my presence. Do you know what that means? (laughs) He's going to show up. Man, how many of you would love to be walking in such a way that Jesus just shows up? I would love that because I'd be like, Jesus, I've seen you. This is amazing. Can I be an apostle? He'd say, no. I'd say, okay, I'm good with just seeing you. You know, that's enough for me. If you're a believer, there should be nothing more wonderful than that opportunity. Jesus will manifest his presence to us if we will remember his goodness respond to him appropriately, and recalibrate our lives based on his truth. But listen, if you're only going to do one of those things this week, I would encourage you to just remember his goodness. Remember his goodness. Because I understand the other two, it could be difficult to do. So just, if you're going to do one, just remember how good he is to you. So much so that he died for you and he was raised back to life for you. And he loves you so much. He is not against you. He is not here to judge you or me. He's here to set us free and to awaken the wonder of God inside of us. Because only when wonder is awakened in us will we be awakened to God's presence all around us. So as we go out of here this week, I would like to encourage us to live this commitment, it says this, I will wake up the wonder by remembering, by remembering all God has done for me this week. I will wake up the wonder by remembering all that God has done for me this week. Guys, what I would love to see happen is from this community, small community in Saxonburg, which actually reaches out to many other communities, that if Nietzsche were to be alive today, he would come back and look and say, oh, maybe God isn't dead. Because these people, man, they, they, there's, there's passion, there's presence, there's power. This God must be real. That's what I would love to see over these next three weeks God do in and among us here. That the wonder of God will be so alive in us that everywhere we go, we couldn't help but worship him. We couldn't help but respond to him. And be so in tune that Nietzsche would have to eat his own words 
You know, in the words of Dave Matthews, who was a songwriter that I liked very much growing up, he said these words, I am no Superman, I have no answers. And left to our own devices, that's absolutely true. That's where Nietzsche got it wrong. We are not supermen. We are not ubermensches, or I don't know what woman is in German. So I don't know. we're not supermen or superwomen. We need God. And to awaken that wonder, we have to remember what he has done for us. So as we go out today, I want to just leave you with this image because I think this is, speaks volumes to us. So let's look at this. <laughs> He's dead. Isn't that so true? God is still alive and well. And he's doing things all around us, and we need to be awakened to that today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can be here and we can experience your wonder together. Father, I pray that you would begin to stir in us anew this wonder that you have designed for us, God, as we experience your wonder in life, as we experience your wonder in the families that we have and the relationships that we have and the nature that you've put all around us, God, that, that when people look at us, they, they can't deny that you are alive. So God, wake up the wonder in us as we go from this place into wherever we go this week, that we could experience you on such a deeper level and that we will experience something new this week because we're throwing off the indifference of culture and we're going to step into your wonder. In Jesus' name, amen.